Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode we shall be delving into The Mummy's Ghost from 1944. This is the third film in a quadrilogy of Mummy movies, with The Mummy's Hand being the first, The Mummy's Tomb being the second, this one being the third, and The Mummy's Curse being the fourth, which shall be the subject of next week's episode. It is probably worth noting that there will be spoilers during this one, and that the film does do a few things that are unique when compared to the Mummy movies that came before it. Therefore, if you would rather watch the film first, this is probably a good place to stop listening. In terms of the format of the episode, first we shall investigate some of the background information on the film, then there will be a section on historical accuracy, and finally I shall review the film, saying what I like and dislike, and generally giving my overall impressions. So, let us walk through the streets as the shadows flicker around us. Let us creep through the corridors of the museum as we approach the mummy of the Princess Ananka. Let us stare into the face of the mummy's ghost. As pointed out in last week's episode, every Mummy movie up until this point simply borrowed the music from a universal horror movie released the year before it. The Mummy from 1932 borrowed the score from Dracula from 1931. The Mummy's Hand from 1940 borrowed the score from The Son of Frankenstein from 1939. And The Mummy's Tomb from 1942 borrowed the score from The Wolfman released in, you guessed it, 1941. When it comes to The Mummy's Ghost, however, it actually breaks this trend, although it would be incorrect to say that it uses an original score. Instead, all of the music is stock music composed by Frank Skinner. I am uncertain if this is better or worse, to be honest, but at least it is different. Although no information is available on the film's budget, it once again was likely incredibly small. The entirety of the film was shot between August 23rd 
and September 1st of 1943, so just nine days, and very few scenes were cut from the final edit. There are a few interesting events that happened during the filming. Firstly, in one scene, Lon Chaney Jr., who once again reprises his role as Carice, the mummy, legitimately almost strangles actor Frank Riker until he is almost unconscious. As you can imagine, Frank Riker was not too happy about this, and according to the director, Reginald LeBorg, visible marks were left on his neck. In one scene in the script's museum, the mummy Carice pushes a security guard, played by Oscar Oshia, into a glass window. It turns out that the prop designer actually forgot to replace the window with breakaway glass. Not only do you see the visible pain on Oscar Oshia's face, but there is also some blood on Carice's chin during the rest of the scene. I do have to give props to both men here, as I believe a lot of actors, understandably, would have broken character. Finally, this is one of the few universal horror movies, alongside The Son of Dracula and The House of Frankenstein, where the heroine does not survive the end of the film, and we actually see the villain win. Now we shall move onto the historical accuracy of the film. As the film starts, we see the backdrop of a wall with some Egyptian iconography and hieroglyphs on it. Unsurprisingly, I suppose, the hieroglyphs here are incorrect, and for the most part are little more than vague shapes. As for the iconography, the figures on either end look a bit like the god Horus wearing the double crown of Egypt. This crown was worn by the pharaoh, and in fairness, Horus is often depicted wearing it. Next to Horus is a man who looks like he is wearing a shuti, which is a feather adornment for a crown. This is often worn by the god Amun, although all of the other iconography for Amun is missing. In all honesty, it is pretty obvious that the artists here were not intending to draw gods, and likely were just trying to draw a vaguely Egyptian-style illustration. As was mentioned in the previous episode, the villains in the previous films in the series are the High Priests of Karnak. For some reason, they have been changed to the High Priests of Arkham in this one. I am not sure why, as Arkham has nothing to do with Egypt. I believe the original name Arkham derives from the fictional town in H.P. Lovecraft's work. Either that, or the writers were time travellers, and they were talking about Arkham Asylum in Batman. At least in this one, I suppose, they do specify a little clearer that the priests of Arkham are actually supposed to be a secret cult. During the scenes in the script's museum in the film, we see the sarcophagus of the Princess Ananka. With a quick glance, the sarcophagus does look pretty good, although the hieroglyphs on it, although mostly proper hieroglyphs, are not really saying much. There are, however, one or two that are correct. For instance, Per Ankh is written, which translates as the House of Life. In terms of the hieroglyphs in Ananka's coffin inside the sarcophagus, they read a little better, and there are some that can be translated. In several places, we see the name of the god Amon, and there is also the word Sinu, meaning to suffer. There are a few hieroglyphs, however, that are very odd, and it took me a while to figure out what they were. One looks simply like a few lines, but on closer inspection, I believe it is supposed to be a person, but the artist has not drawn the head or front of the body. Given that the filming only took nine days, I would guess that the artists for the props were also not given much time. And so, it is likely they were quickly copying some hieroglyphs off of a genuine artefact, which probably had some damage of its own, and so the hieroglyphs, whilst occasionally right, often come off as looking strange. 
As for the other artefacts in the room, they are mostly, unsurprisingly, cheap props. Later in the museum, the curator of the museum, Dr. Aid, reads the hieroglyphs in the wrong direction. As stated in an earlier episode, hieroglyphs can be read from right to left, left to right, or top to bottom. But generally, you read into the faces of the humans and animals depicted, not into the back of their heads. Also, unsurprisingly, the words that Dr. Aids is saying do not match up with the hieroglyphs in the slightest. At the end of the film, Yusuf Bey, the high priest of Arkham who controls Karis the mummy, says that the heroine of the film, Amina, is the third daughter of the one-time pharaoh, Amenethys. Amenethys was a real pharaoh. In fact, there were four pharaohs named Amenethys, otherwise known as Amenhotep. The final pharaoh named Amenhotep changed his name to Akhenaten, and I would recommend anyone who is not aware of him to look into his reign, as it was truly unique and controversial. However, saying one-time pharaoh isn't really a thing, and to me, almost makes it sound like he is a boxing or wrestling champ who keeps winning and losing the title. That brings an end to the historical accuracy part of the episode. Finally, I shall review the film, say what I like and dislike about it, and giving my overall impressions. When it comes to the plot of the film, Yusuf Bey, the high priest of Arkham, wants to take the bodies of both Karis and Inanka back to their own tombs in Egypt so that Karis can protect her for eternity. I do find it funny that this is the plot for the villains in the film. After all, returning mummies to their own tombs is quite a noble quest, and one that by today's standards would be considered quite moral. Early in the film, it feels like the only thing making the villains the villains is that they speak in an ominous way, though... I suppose later they do start murdering people, so they're not entirely good. The first thing to note here that really goes in this film's favour is that it does not overly reuse scenes from other mummy movies. This sets it apart from both The Mummy's Hand and The Mummy's Tomb, as those films reuse scenes extensively. Also, unlike The Mummy's Tomb before it, the film actually gave me a reason to care about the characters, I did find myself genuinely caring about Amina, the heroine in the film. On top of that, I thought the performance by John Carradine, who played Yusuf Bey, the main villain, was good and, although occasionally a little overacted, even reminded me of Christopher Lee to a point. However, in my opinion, this film was stolen by one cast member, Peanuts, the pet dog of our hero Tom Harvey. Not only is Peanuts instantly lovable, simply because he is a dog, but he also saves the day on multiple occasions. At one point, Carice kidnaps Amina, and it is only thanks to Peanut's warning barks that anyone knows. In another scene, he seeks out Tom Harvey, his owner, to help him find Amina, although in this scene, when the hero puts Peanuts down, there is an audible squeak of a ball from off-camera, clearly designed to get him to run in a particular direction. There are a couple of dogs in this film, and even though the entire plot of the film is quite goofy, having dogs present does add some tension. For whatever reason, the mummy could kill a hundred people and it would not feel like a big deal, but have even the slightest hint that the mummy might hurt an animal, and suddenly I'm emotionally invested. I like that once again, the mummy kills by strangling people, which leaves marks on their necks as this has been a consistent plot point through all of the films in the series. Although, admittedly, 
this film does take extensive liberties over other plot points from the former two films. The use of shadows in the film is also really well done, and often it is only the viewer that spots the shadows, leaving the characters in the film perilously oblivious. It actually acts as a precursor for the potential horror to come, which is a technique used in all good horror films. After all, it is best to build the tension before the actual fright. This is something that neither the mummy's hand nor tomb did to any great degree. During the film, we find out that Amina, the heroine, is slowly becoming the reincarnation of Ananka, as she was one of her descendants. Several times, she sleepwalks towards Kelis, and every time she wakes up, her hair has grown whiter. At first, there is just a streak of white, clearly inspired by The Bride of Frankenstein, arguably the best of all of the Universal horror films. I may be a little bit biased here, as I love The Bride of Frankenstein, but I personally love this. I also like the way the viewer, for the most part, is left in the dark as to what is happening, as you are uncertain whether she is growing older, or if it is a shock that is changing her hair colour. It is only at the very end of the film that you realise that she is not just turning into an old woman, she is turning into a 3,000-year-old corpse. She is literally turning into a Nanka. I personally think that, for the most part, this was really well done for a film of this age. You only realise this as Carice is carrying her towards a final location in the film, a bog into which they both sink, preserving them for eternity. Well, maybe not an eternity. There is another film in the series after all, but you get the idea. This leads me to the final part of the film I love, and it is one I mentioned earlier. I like the fact that the mummy actually wins. I did not see this coming, and although this ending will not be for everyone, I felt that it broke up the status quo of these films. So, as you can probably tell, there is a lot to like here. However, there are also some bad points. Firstly, much like in The Mummy's Hand, the first film in this series, whilst many of the elements around the plot are well done, the plot itself is a bit of a mess. It does not really help that the villains have a legitimately good goal for the film, mainly because the writers intended the viewers to disagree with them. Further, the mummy looks worse than ever. For whatever reason, it is really obvious that Long Cheney is wearing a rubber mask here, and there are several points where you can see his eyelids move. Throughout the film, the mummy adopts a real love for walking through walls and fences. I feel this is supposed to show his power, but really it just comes off as goofy. I shall not take a point away from this as I love goofy stuff, but it clearly was not intended to look this way. Even contemporary reviews commented on how the mummy had become the least scary of all of the horror villains. Finally, I thought that Yusuf's bay comeuppance was incredibly rushed. As Caris brings Amina to him, even though he has never seen her before, Yusuf Bey instantly falls in love with her to the point where he decides to change all of his plans and make them both immortal so that they can live together for eternity. This leads to Caris becoming furious and killing him. The whole love arc here happens in less than five minutes and comes out of nowhere. In terms of reviews for the film, they were generally negative, although apparently the film was a financial success. I feel, however, that the reviews are a little unfair. A lot of the reviews pointed out how unoriginal the plot was. This is true, but I do feel that there are enough different elements to make the film stand out. I agree that the film is not scary in the slightest, 
but I actually quite enjoyed it. It is better than The Mummy's Tomb, as I cared about some of the characters. Despite its many flaws, and a plot that is inconsistent with both itself and the series as a whole, I would put this film on par with The Mummy's Hand. Thank you very much for listening, and please join me next time, where we will be looking at The Mummy's Curse from 1944. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.